Are you a freight broker or 3PL looking for the right partner in a TMS, but you don't know where to start? Well, look no further. I had Gwen from Freight Path on my last episode, and he gives you all of the scoop, all of the questions that you need to ask, and things that you need to know going into it. And that was in episode 35. So go and check that out at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 35. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey. And each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Things are changing fast. Scott Nelson said on a past show that the knowledge base is changing every 1.5 years. And that is just for today. So you can only imagine in a few years from now. In the last couple of weeks, cannabis has been legalized in Canada, opening up new regulations at the border and domestically, plus the new NAFTA is almost finalized. So how is the retail market dealing with all of this change and the speed of change? But before we get into that, let's start with the listener's corner. So the question of the week is, logistics technology startups seem to emerge daily. Will these transportation disruptors succeed? And that was from Kevin in London. Thank you so much, Kevin, for sending that in. I had a really, really great um, conversations actually happening not only on my personal LinkedIn when I posted this, but also in the Let's Talk supply chain page on LinkedIn and as well on Twitter. So there was a lot of discussion on this. I'm not going to be able to get to every single response on it, but uh, if you go to Let's Talk supply chain dot com forward slash listener dash corner. I will have all of the answers and the links to those conversations there. So uh, one of them was Johan Strom from Mule Chain. Global e-commerce sales are, according to DHL, going to grow with 140% from 2016 to 2021. And that cross-border trade will grow twice as fast as domestic. Imagine the number of deliveries to highly populated areas when urbanization is going in the same direction. Along with this more more and more cities are regulating traffic in the city centers with time slots for heavy vehicles and even car-free cities. This will force a shift in paradigm within the logistics world. Again, I'll have more of his answer on the website. Robert Gerritsen, he says, I agree 100% with Brian Glick. So first, Brian Glick said the companies that combine new ideas with deep industry understanding will succeed. The ones who are completely outsiders will overlook the inherently complexity of our industry and will fall short. And Robert agrees with him saying, however, we would add that it's really only in supply chain that this question still needs to be seriously considered. Supply chain is a massive industry and so far behind most other businesses on the digital curve that there is a ton of upside for many of them. Chris Jones from CargoMate, he's the CEO over there, says, depends highly on what the startup defines as success. I think what makes startups so threatening to established businesses is the ability to iterate quickly over product business model and business processes to meet a potential customer's needs better than their current 
supplier. The level of disruption a startup can make depends very much on how quick their growth is. Coupled, coupled with the speed of existing businesses' ability to notice the disruption, Pat Roche, he is from Divergent Logistics. He also weighed in. Digital platforms are likely to be very important going into the next few decades of development in logistics. And again, you can see more of that over on the website. Over on Twitter, Johan Strom, he also weighed in. Ray Sims uh, weighed in. Um, he said, yes, some will succeed since the industry is so ripe for digital disruption. And yes, there are too many, too many emerging to all survive. The majority will fail, consolidate or be acquired, i.e. same pattern as e.g. late 1990s for internet startups who are the likely winners and why. So again, go to the website. I will have everything up on the website so you can follow those discussions there or you can go and follow my page let's talk supply chain and that is over on linkedin quickly before we get to the episode just a couple of reviews i want to do a shout out for um recently i got five out of five stars on itunes and i could not do that without the listeners so thank you thank you thank you so much one of them is from priyanka uh, Priyanka PP, Let's Talk Supply Chain is very informative. They have a great guests and really great questions. Also, Sarah's voice is super nice. Well, thank you very much, Priyanka. I really look forward to listening to their podcast. Being a supply chain grad student, it's so important for me to keep updated with latest trends. I especially love their Woman in Supply Chain series. Another favorite episode of mine was Cannabis. Who would have thought about that? Amazing content. Keep it up. And then I've also got Guys, Girls, BB, I need to apologize because this is back from March. I didn't even realize it was on there. So if this is you, thank you so much for sending it in. And I apologize for the delay. But they said, just listen to your Women in Supply Chain series and loved it. I've worked in the industry for the past decade. And it's amazing how far media coverage has come. Glad I found you as a resource and looking forward to future episodes. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate all the ratings and reviews. Again, if you could go and do that. It doesn't take very much time, but it allows others to find us. So let's get to the episode. Um, well, just before that, remember to send your questions, questions to listener at letstalksupplychain.com and look out for my posts every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter to submit your answers and be featured. So let's get back to the topic at hand, the state of retail. And Graham Robbins, our resident expert, is joining me for this one. I don't know if you saw my post on LinkedIn a few weeks ago, and I believe I mentioned it in the episode, but it was for a check from JCPenney for 22 cents and the stamp cost 72 cents. And then you pay somebody to process it plus the cost of the envelope. This is why retail is hurting. Sears just really recently went bankrupt. I know we're going to talk about that as well. So, and Going back to the check, the 22 cents could have stayed on my credit card. So no wonder companies are going bankrupt. So welcome back to the show, Graham. We are talking about all things retail today. And I think one of the reasons why we wanted to do that is because it's changing so rapidly. And plus all of this new NAFTA talks, all of these new NAFTA conversations, we thought it would be important uh, to talk about that today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So let's get started. What do you think about the state of retail today? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, you know, I've been 
I've been really studying this, and we study it as an organization because many of our customers are retailers. But I would say that what we're really seeing is, you know, bad and mediocre experiences uh, in retail are dying, right? You know, and I was thinking why, and I, I thought I think a lot about other applications or things that go on in our world. And if you look at sort of, we're living in this Instagram world, so you know, would you take a picture of yourself? At Sears, for example, and probably posted on Instagram that it's something, uh, something amazing. And really, that may sound crazy. Why would you do that? But people that go to an Apple store uh, or an Amazon Go store or even Casper mattress or whatever it might be, they're actually doing that. It's exciting. They they take pictures of themselves there. It, it's an event. But would you do that at these some of these retailers that are unfortunately having a struggle or failing? They just haven't changed and evolved with the consumer, so that that's what I think what's really going on is the mediocre and bad experiences are just getting hurt. Yeah, and I think that's compounded by the speed of change. I keep bringing this up, but it was fascinating to me to find out that the knowledge base cha- is changing every one point five years right now. So it's only going to get faster. And I think you're right. You know, the ones that are out in front of it um, and are, you know, taking a look at consumers, taking a look at their behaviors, what they enjoy doing, because something that you and I are used to doing or maybe looking at doing now is not the same as, you know, maybe two generations from us. Yeah, even a generation ago. And, and I actually compared retail a lot to the restaurant industry a little bit because, I, I don't know about in your area, but say in Vancouver, you know, the people that are hurting are, again, mediocre experiences, uh, bad customer service, and the ones that are thriving, you always have this sort of luxury, and this goes for retail as well, the, the high end, they always seem to do well. And then you have, if you're at the low or, or middle area there, and you're not differentiating and you're not keeping up with the consumer, you're having a really hard time. Um, and it's, it goes everywhere. It's not just, you know, Instagram, it's your Google reviews. It's your, you know, your Yelp reviews. It's all these reviews and, and, um, social proof that you're good or not. And I just think that's been a massive change that you couldn't, you know, couldn't predict or, um, you, you have to make sure that you're keeping up with. Yeah. And I think that's another really great point, you know, which, which stores would you go to to take a picture of yourself, you know, that you want to showcase yourself at, um, that you want people to know that you went to? Um, you're right. Like that is really becoming a part of a consumer's world. Yeah. And then that, that's a tough one to keep keep up with. You know, it's 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 basically, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, go walking through this a bit. Yeah. We would live in this Instagram world or Snapchat world. And basically would you, would you Snapchat or Instagram this moment? If not, you know, your company needs to be thinking about how you can create those moments that, uh, that delight or surprise your customer. Yeah. Snapchat does a really good uh, job of that though, because sometimes they have the paid uh, filter yeah. and branding with it, which I thought that was really, really great. Yeah. So then why, okay, so Sears just went into bankruptcy. I think everybody knows that only happened, what, about a week or so ago. By the time this airs, it'll be a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, 
So why are we seeing so much bankruptcies? I know we just talked about, you know, everybody sort of keeping up with consumer trends. I think, you know, there's also technology to contend with. I think, you know, also marketing, online marketing is costing a lot of money with different ads and getting those rights and things like that. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I was sad about this one. You know, Sears uh, has been, I've been, a Sears shopper, so to speak, when I was really young, you know, I remember going down the craftsman tool aisle with my father and, you know, people forget this, but actually they were very innovative at the beginning. You know, they had the Sears catalog, which was, which was unique. And you look forward to that every season or every Christmas. Um, and then walking down the tool aisle, like they, they had all the tools out of their boxes and on display. So you walked in there and it was like being in a, in a shop, you know, being in a, in a car shop or a woodworking shop. And, um, you know, you could say that, so, so they were innovative and I just don't think they kept up, you know, they just didn't, they sort of stagnated, they didn't keep up. And there's a whole underlying piece about Sears in general, where they had, you know, the, the, the CEO is also, you know, uh, he was using Sears as a real estate company and sold off the real estate. And there's a whole bunch of weird uh, dynamics going on in that company in particular. But I would say that, you know, I don't think I've been in a Sears store in at least 15 years. And I'm a consumer, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I buy things, I have children, I, I, you know, I buy toys, and I just haven't been there. And, and it's, it, it's got to be more than 15 years. I'm, I'm just thinking about it being married for 16. I don't think I've been in, uh, in a, a serious store with my wife ever. So um, what's going on? What, you know, I think they just haven't kept up, they've stagnated. And uh, it, it it just doesn't get any better if, if the organization is not moving forward and, and really connected with their customer. Yeah, I think there's a few different um, issues here as well, because I think from a business standpoint, I think there's some, you know, decisions that are being made um, outside of just, you know, keeping on top of consumers and things. I mean, I posted that on LinkedIn about getting, uh, I had 22 cent credit on my credit card. And, um, a large retailer sent me a check for 22 cents and the M or the, the cost to actually mail that check alone was 72 cents. Yeah. Yeah. And how many times a year do they do that? Right. Well, and I just don't understand. I mean, if it's on a credit card, leave it on there. I mean, I was going to use that credit card within the next couple of weeks anyways. So it would have been used. Um, and maybe there's some, you know, other thoughts around that, or maybe there's some other reasons for them doing that, but just the cost of the person making the check, you know, the envelope, the stamp, you know, mailing it, you know, it, how much are you spending to send me a 22 cent check? And is it really worth me walking to the bank and depositing it into the bank? I mean, at some point we have to sort of talk or think about overhead costs versus, you know, sending a check for 22 cents. Yeah. Well, that, I think you just nailed it by saying the thinking part. I think some of these companies stop thinking, right? They have a process. Well, we have a credit. We must process a check. We must mail it out. We don't think about costs or to your point about the impact on their customers. So if I get a check in the mail, I'm actually annoyed. Like I have to, like you said, there's obviously some good banking apps where you can take a picture of a check now and upload it, but still, you know, 
can you can you just deposit into my account or put it back on my card? The idea of getting a check and now I have to go to the bank and deposit it, that's that is 1980s thinking right there. That's not that's not, you know, today's thinking. Yeah, well the worst part was it was a US check. So I had to go to the bank because I don't think any Canadian apps allow you to do it that with us checks but anyway that's that's completely beside the point um well the other thing to point out there too is because of the rate of change and the speed of change i think also it 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 you know it's worth it to say that large companies also need to be able to pivot a lot faster than they have in the past right and and you know changing the the stores changing the experience there's just um, it, it, you're right that the cycle of acceptance of of you know the status quo has just shortened. People aren't they're looking for something new. They're looking for the next thing. How can you constantly improve? And I think I, I you know I, I think we've talked about it before. I'm a big Jeff Bezos fan from Amazon. He said you know customers are just unsatisfied. They're just innately dissatisfied. So. It's a beautiful thing because when you you have to continually work on satisfying them, and if you stop, then that's sort of they're looking for the next best thing. They're looking for a better option, better service, and now it's everything is a click away or or a review away or a referral away. It's just so much easier to find choice that if you're mediocre or bad, uh, it, you know it, it spreads just as fast as if you're good. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, with change, so we're going to talk about, you know, how stores are changing. And I think that this is, this is having a huge impact on supply chain, right? You know, everybody sort of talks about omni-channel and having different ways of being, being able to deliver to consumer, to be able to give that customer experience. So it's got a huge impact on how we hold inventory, how we do last mile delivery, how the consumer wants to have that last mile delivery. You know, some want, some want it to be picked up and I'll, I'll, you know, talk about an example of that in a minute. Um, But how are stores changing? Yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. You know, they're basically turning into distribution centers or pick and pack operations, you know, or cross docks. It's, it's actually amazing when you go into a store now, um, you know, they're, they're, they have employees walking around picking items, which sounds crazy. It sounds, I shouldn't say it sounds crazy. It sounds before they used to take the items from their back warehouse and put it on the shelf and the consumer would take it off and put it in their cart and, dr- and walk to the till. Now, because of pickup and delivery, so a lot of, gr- a lot of grocery stores, retail stores are offering in-store pickup or even delivery and they're using their stores as warehouses. Uh, or, or dis- distribution centers. So you walk into a grocery store here in Vancouver where there's a lot of online delivery, a lot of online and, and grocery delivery. The people are walking around with carts and baskets, pulling stuff off of the shelves that they just put on and are doing a pick and pack. It doesn't even go through the till. It goes out another warehouse door. And then they are they have sort of a dedicated pickup zone or um, because you can also do pickup, not just online delivery. Um, so the whole store is changing. It's changing into just what you said. It's changing into a logistics operation where they have to figure out how to pick and pack store and, and have cars show up and open their trunk and pop the groceries in. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple of examples. So I was talking to a friend of mine and, uh, she was on her way home from work 
And she just, she was telling, she got out of the car. She was still talking to me, but she got out of the car and, you know, she was talking to somebody just sort of saying, thank you, whatever. And I said, what are you doing? (laughs) And she's like, well, I went to pick up my online order. I order, I found this, um, company out of the UK that has amazing clothes and I can't get them for that kind of price here. And she's like, I order from them all the time. So I, but I don't want them to deliver to my house because I'm never home. I'm at work. So I get them to deliver to this local depot and it's right down the street from work. And I pick it up on my way from work, on my way home from work pretty much every single week. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, um, there's whole foods is doing something similar where for groceries, which I think is genius is they have dedicated parking areas that are covered. They're covered parking areas. You pull in like an old, almost like an old, uh, remember the drive-ins, like an A&W drive-in or a drive-in restaurant where you drive in and the, the bar, the hop would come over and take your order and deliver it. Well, you can literally drive in and whole foods, pop your trunk and someone, someone comes in and delivers your groceries to your trunk, and you don't even get out of your car. And Walmart just just uh, announced in Canada that they're redesigning a whole bunch of stores in Canada for this very reason. They're going to have dedicated parking areas for pickup, and also they're going to have dedicated areas inside their store. So if you're doing online orders or online pickup or online returns, you don't have to go through the normal channel because it's a completely different model, right? You, you can't show up with a till with a box, that says this is the wrong size t-shirt or this was the wrong size television or whatever you ordered on Walmart, you need to be in a separate area that's dealing with this whole separate system. So their stores are becoming multifaceted, not just for people that are walking in and and using the traditional way. They're becoming, you know, warehouse and distribution centers. Yeah. And I think the pickup is something very, very interesting because a lot of times we talk about last mile delivery, you know, delivery to somebody's door, um, you know, people stealing from people's doors uh, or stealing the products from their front porch because so many people are getting things delivered these days. But uh, so I think that sometimes that pickup option gets a little bit lost in the shuffle. And for, you know, people like that friend of mine that isn't home and doesn't want that package to sit on her front doorstep, there are local pickup places that she can send her orders to and just pick it up when it's convenient for her. And I think that that is really something that retailers should also take into consideration because it was something that I actually spoke on, uh, spoke about on a panel just a few days ago is that consumers are going to want the experience tailored to them now. Right. And the reason why I had brought that up on the panel was because of 3d printing. You know, 3D printing is going to change the warehousing model from finished product to raw material because consumers are going to want their product now to be tailored to them. Whether that product is printed on a 3D printer at the warehouse or 3D printed in their kitchen is soon to be seen. But everything moving forward is tailored to a specific consumer. It's not bunching everybody together and thinking that they all want the same thing anymore. Right. And, and in, in a lot of these cities, um, you know, it doesn't matter where you live in the world. You know, it could be Toronto, Vancouver, Los Angeles, Seattle. You know, density is a big thing. So apartment dwellers, people that are in apartments, where do you deliver, you know, a pallet? If, if you had something, if you, if, if you had an item you bought on eBay or Amazon, 
you can't actually have it delivered very easily to your apartment. So you can't, and then what if there's 300 people in that apartment building? Where do you deliver, you know, groceries for 100 people? So now what you see is the developers are putting in refrigerators and in some cases heating platforms for, for meal delivery so that you can order your, your groceries, but there's a place for them to sit. Right now, that's, you know, you, you kind of walk into an apartment, you got a little mail area. If you get a box, it's a big deal. It's like, okay, you have to go to the concierge, you have to get the box. Well, that, that's all going to change. The entire building and development side of things is all changing around delivery. And to your point earlier about pickup, you know, none of these stores really want to deliver <laughs> because they've got the stores with the product there. They, they want to make it really easy for you to pick up because the, the expense and the, the infrastructure to build a delivery network is, is brutal. So they want to make it really easy for you to drive in on your way home, pop the trunk and, and keep going. Well, not only that, but if they can, you know, convince you to go inside to pick up, they're also additionally getting that consumer inside their footprint to go and maybe pick up some more items. So that's also an interesting part of that if uh, if that if the retailer has bricks and mortar. So um, I know we talked about the bankruptcy. I do have a question here, sort of, you know, why are some retailers surviving and some aren't? I think maybe we've covered most of that. Was there anything else that you you wanted to sort of add to that? I think what what I see a lot with that is that why are the why are some thriving? And if you look at the difference, there's a great. Uh, boutique store here uh, near where I live. It's called Privileged Clothing. And it's amazing. It's run by a, a bunch of women. And they've sort of built this brand around women and, you know, boss babes. And they, they've got a podcast, you know, they're doing video. And it's just something when you watch it, you can't stop. You know, you, you have to follow it. They're, they're talking about their daily life. They're talking about having children if they have children. And you're thinking, well, hold on a second. Is this a store? But they're, they're building a community. They're building this, this brand that resonates really big with people. And they, they, their client base or their customer base is so passionate about what they're doing that they, it's almost lost on you that, that you're a customer of theirs. You know, you've just, you're just sort of, you're there for the experience and for being part of that community that's very supportive to each other. They do fun events together. And this is a retailer. You know, they're selling clothes. <laughs> but they've got all these other things going on and they're just a great success story of someone that's just just really clued into the customer and what they want. They've got three stores, but they have they've got this massive following. They're doing online ordering or you know, they're doing they have a web presence as well. So I think that's why to the question of why are some thriving and some aren't, if you're not doing those types of things, imagine now someone going to want to go shopping to someone that's doing nothing that has no personality, no character, no, you know, passion around their brand, it's just going to fall flat for, for that consumer. And uh, so I think that's a big piece is, is all the other stuff that you're doing around your brand uh, that, is, that is resonating with your potential customers. Well, the other point to sort of, you know, mention there is that if they're not doing any of that, they're, they're being forgotten. So it's not that the consumer will actually go, um, they're, they're not even remembering that they're there. Uh, oh, that, 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 I just heard this the other day. I'm so glad you brought that up. Someone said, we, we were going through this branding exercise and, and uh, you know, ideal customer with our own company. And they were basically saying, if your brand disappeared, 
would anyone care? And that makes you really think. I, I sit there and I go, huh, would there be people that cared other than obviously our employees and that type of thing, but would your customers care if you disappeared? And that was a really, really sort of profound question to ask to go, well, would they just go, okay, we're just going to use the competitor next door and we can still get our service from them. No problem. But so that's the piece is do they care about you? And if they don't care about you, if you disappear, they just go, okay, I guess I'll have to drive another five minutes. No big deal. Then you're, you've got a problem <laughs> or a potential problem. Um, so do you mind if I use that question for an upcoming listener corner? I love it. I love it. I, I didn't, I didn't you know, I was quoting somebody else. So yeah, I think it's a great question. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to use that one. But my other point on that is even pop-up shops, right? You talked about having fun in the store and, and people wanting to take pictures and that kind of thing is um, taking a look at pop-up shops. And I think from a supply chain perspective, um, depending on how you're doing pop-ups and things like that, I've heard a lot of companies working with their warehouses to do road shows. Um, so the warehouses are helping them with the inventory to be able to take on the road to be able to do these pop-ups. So just another sort of, you know, thought there, more of like a, a solution if people or brands or, or retailers aren't thinking about those types of things. Um, warehouses are getting used to being asked about road shows and pop-ups. So just something to keep in mind when you're, you know, talking to your warehouse and looking at different things to be able to do. Yeah, and, and you know you brought that just you just reminded me of something. So you know, In and Out Burger is in the U.S. and there people are very passionate about In and Out Burger. Just certain, again, go to Instagram and hashtag In and Out Burger, and people are just showing showing you them eating the food. They're just so passionate about it. Well, there's no In and Out Burgers in Canada, but every year there's a big car show here in British Columbia, and they do a pop up shop, and it is incredible. People line up before it's opened. They are lined up when they run out of burgers and fries and they don't even have a store in Vancouver. Like you can't go there the next day. So they've created this buzz and this brand that we're basically begging them to come to Vancouver and they tease us every September. Uh, we brought all the burgers and, and, and then their, their mobile uh, restaurant through this year and they've just created this buzz around their brand. That's different. You know, who else is doing that? Uh, if you're not thinking thinking this way, it's you know you're going to have challenges for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's get into NAFTA. <laughs> we sort of kept this till the end, but I think that it's important um, because it's another factor for retailers to consider. There is so much. I mean, really, let's be honest. There's a lot of things that you need to keep on top of to be able to stay ahead and. Um, you know, make stay ahead of bankruptcy, really. But, you know, how will the new NAFTA affect retail and retailers? And, you know, even potentially consumers, right? Because if the costs of the goods are going up, um, then it's going to affect consumers as well. Yes. And, you know, not trying to correct you, but now it's the USMCA, <laughs> which is still so hard for us to get over because we're both from the industry. We've been talking NAFTA for 20 years. I'm sorry. I am still going to call it the new NAFTA. I know, right? And that, that's the other thing is they, they, could, they didn't, they not only changed it, but they changed the name. So even from a technology perspective, everything in our system goes around NAFTA, NAFTA, and now it's USMCA. So it's, it's kind of comical from that perspective. But 
um, you know, they, they've, they've changed the name. So I think the, the biggest thing that was on the radars for retailers and the Canadian Retail Association is, uh, for Canada has been on this a lot about the de minimis rule. I think that's one of the big things that they were really worried about. Uh, and just to recap that for any listeners, you know, in the U.S., you can bring in $800 worth of items into the U.S., you know, duty-free without, without even using a customs broker. Uh, on the Canadian side, that amount was basically $20. So everyone was saying the you know the courier companies and anyone that wanted cross border to move faster they want that to move to eight hundred like the U.S. and they they doubled the the minimum from twenty to forty dollars and there's now a duty free limit and this gets complicated because we've got duty and tax there's a hundred and fifty dollar duty free limit and a forty dollar duty and tax free limit so in other words on the hundred and fifty you still have to pay tax over the forty dollars but you don't have to pay duty. So that's a big, that's sort of a big, big news, but it's really, I don't want to downplay it, but it's not really changing anyone's world that we're going to bring in, you know, $32 shipments and, and uh, you know, instead of 20. So that's a big thing that was on the radar. And I think the retailers were worried that that was going to go to 800. Um, and that's really the main thing I see from the retail perspective is that's to do with e-commerce and retail. But I don't see a lot of other things in the agreement yet. You know, it's not fully ratified or not fully in yet. But um, anything else is, you know, there are some big things around autos, for example, about determining the rules of origin now and how much percentage of the vehicle is made in um, different countries to have it to qualify for USMCA. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's not a lot of other things that we're seeing that are, are major from a retail perspective. So I guess it's still all to be determined. You know, we've got a new name for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the de minimis has been doubled. Yeah, doubled yeah. <laughs> but I think every most of everything else is still to be determined, I guess. And I think that's coming, what, January? Is, is that when they're supposed to have everything in place? Or? That's supposed to be the time frame, yes. All right, all right. So let's talk about crossing the border. Uh, with all of these changes and the new NAFTA, um, and with the legalization of cannabis, just going to throw it out there. Yeah. What can we expect crossing the border? Well, I after October 17th, which was the date of cannabis legalization, I went through one of the longest border lineups I've been in in years. Um, so that might be a sign of things. Uh, even I have Nexus and I was crossing the border. You know, our, our take really is, you know, if anyone's asking me, because a lot of people do, because I'm in the business, but I, I'm just saying, you know, stay away from the border with cannabis. Like, just don't, don't, if you're, if you're using cannabis, uh, just stay away from the border. Don't even try it. Don't, you know, it's, it's something to remember about that is that it's not legal in every state and U.S. Customs, especially, is a federal organization. So they don't care that it might be legal in Washington they are protecting the entire country. So they, they are not, um, they don't care that it's legal in Washington state and they don't care that it's legal in BC. So that, that's just one thing that uh, on the cannabis part, but there's, there's obviously a lot more talk now about uh, cannabis processing machinery and fertilizer and a whole bunch of other things that, that are coming to light. And those are all legal. You know, those are all no problem bringing the machinery and things like that in because they're just, they're categorized and, and they have tariffs that apply to them. So that's probably the biggest news in the last couple of weeks is what's going on and what's, what's our take or our stance on it. But, um, 
I think it's going to die down fairly quickly because it's 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 basically like liquor and tobacco. That's that's what cannabis is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I guess we covered some of that new NAFTA, you know, crossing the border with the de minimis. I still think forty dollars is really, really low. But anyways, that's just my opinion. So lastly, before we go, um, we've talked a lot about retail retailers, how the stores are changing, what that means to supply chain. And as well as, you know, the new NAFTA, I'm sorry, I'm just going to call it the new NAFTA, <laughs> NAFTA taking effect in January. How should people plan? How should retailers plan? How should we be looking at the future? I mean, a couple of things I can sort of throw in there is that we need to start being comfortable with being uncomfortable because of the speed of change. Um, we do have to take a look at that. And I think, again, the larger retailers need to be able to pivot quickly um, and not take as long as they have traditionally to make change, to make decisions, you know, have people on your teams, even your supply chain teams that have technology backgrounds, that have that consumer background of the consumers that you're targeting, because I think that they're going to be invaluable moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the, on the planning piece, you know, I, I just think it's really, there's so many things in the air right now, like with, with the USMCA, um, with with the tariff and, you know, surtax, I guess you would call it. It's not duty, it's surtax. My advice now is really you have to do more planning. And I was visiting a major customer yesterday, actually, and they were talking about importing a multi-million dollar piece of machinery and I said, okay, before you issue that purchase order, you know, we really have to be speaking um, because there are trade agreements that are, have changed even the last uh, couple of years where the shipping lane matters. So if you're shipping from Europe to Canada versus Europe to the U.S., your duty rate can be different. You know, a lot of people would know that by shipping direct to Canada, in some cases, your duty rate can be lower. Shipping to the U.S., you may pay a higher duty rate, and then you pay duty again coming into Canada. Um, so the, the planning part is a big issue where people have to uh, really not just assume that it's the same as it was a year ago. It has changed, and it will be changing. So you have to do a lot of planning, pre-work, talk to your service provider, and make sure that, um, you know, what's the best way for me to route this product or, or items today? It's, it's not the same as it was a year ago. Yeah, and I think check the plan more frequently uh, to make sure that you're, you know, still on track, still on, on target of where you want to be um, so that you can pivot quicker. Um, I think the other thing about trade agreements, especially on the Canadian side, is to diversify your trade. Um, don't rely as much on the U S um, you know, maybe as, as we have in the past, we've got, somebody said there was 23 free trade agreements, um, for Canada. And so there's a lot of really, really, really great opportunity internationally to be able to source products or even to um, sell your products to. So diversify, take a look at those trade agreements, talk to your service providers so you can get all of the information that you need on those trade agreements. Maybe go on some of those trade missions uh, to take a look at some of those markets. I agree. I think the question that I left with was, you know, if you're paying duty, you have to ask why. There, there are there are so many trade agreements and so many manufacturing locations now 
if you think you're about to pay a hefty duty rate, you should be asking, how can I not pay duty? Legally, of course, but you know, tax is always going to be there for Canada. Into the US or Canada, if you're paying duty, you have to be pausing and figuring out where can we save? How can we save? What would our, what would our supply chain need to look like to not pay duty? Yeah, and for uh, the American retailers and the American companies, um, when I was just at that conference, they were talking about free trade zones. Um, I don't know much about it, uh, so I wouldn't be able to talk very intelligently about it. But they were saying that if you can get a consultant um, for free trade zones, more than likely they'll come in and do an assessment of whether a free trade zone would be good for you or not. So also something to consider, especially on the U.S. side. Totally. Yeah. Great, great point there too. All right. Well, thank you so much. I mean, some things have come to me right away. Um, you know, make sure to have your pulse on innovation and evolving all the time and don't spend money to send somebody to send somebody a check for 22 cents. Just leave it on your credit card. For all the information on Graham, the show, and Border Buddy, visit the episode page at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 36 and visit them at borderbuddy.com. Thank you so much for another great episode, Graham. I enjoyed it. Thank you. If you liked this episode, go and check out my other episodes with Graham. Uh, Some of them include autonomous vehicles and the trade war. Next up, I am talking about automating last mile delivery with Osman from Simply Deliver. The company is making waves in the Netherlands and in Europe, so you're going to want to be sure to check out that episode. Do you want to support the show? Well, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. I mentioned one at the beginning of the episode. Please take a few minutes to rate and review the show. I will shout you out uh, on your review or about your review on an upcoming episode. And if you do that, other people can find the show as well. Go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com and sign up. Then you will be one of the first people to know once my online platform has been launched. And uh, then I also have a supply chain dictionary. Are you looking to, you know, get through all of those acronyms and definitions? We sure do have a lot in the supply chain industry. So if that's the case and you'd like to go and grab that, that is over on my website, letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The only one that's a little bit strange is Twitter because it's less, Let's Talk S-Chain. Um, but if you do, you can participate in some of the really amazing conversations that we have going on every single Wednesday when we post our listeners' corner question. So have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for all of your support. And remember, everybody, ship happens. Ship happens.